place You've been getting quite a name all around the place Healing cripples and raising from the dead Now I understand your God, at least that's what you say so you are the Christ, you're the great Jesus Christ Prove to me that you're divine Change my water into wine That's all you need to and I'll know it's all true Come on, King of the Jews And Jesus, you just won't believe The hits you've made around here You are all we talk about The wonder of the year all a lie Still I'm sure that you can rock the cynics if you try So you are the Christ You're the great Jesus Christ Prove to me that you're no fool Walk across my swimming pool If you'll do that for me Then I'll let you go free Come on, King of the Jews Christ, yes, the great Jesus Christ. Feed my household with this bread. You can do it on your head, or has something gone wrong? Why do you take so long? Come on, King of the Jews. Hey, aren't you scared of me, Christ, Mr. Wonderful Christ? You're a joke, you're not the Lord. You're nothing but a fraud, so take him away, he's got nothing to say. Get out, you king of the, get out, get out, you king of the Jews. Do you know who that was? Who was that? Elton John, yeah. No, actually, that was uh, King Herod from Jesus Christ Superstar. And if you remember, King Herod was the king of the Jews. And he really didn't know what to do with Jesus because people said that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And yet when Herod interviewed Jesus, Jesus didn't seem like much of a king, at least not a real king in the real world. Let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you'd help us to preach. Because God, we need you to do it. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, Jesus. And so it's in your name that we pray. Amen. For the first time, uh, 
10 to 12 years of my pastorate, I was actually a youth pastor. And so I've spent an awful lot of time taking youth on retreats. Um, in Northern California, every year we went to Ponderosa Lodge in the mountains above Santa Cruz, and we ended our annual retreat every year with a sharing time, a time for testimonies. It usually started pretty slow. And then it got like really amazing. I mean, high school kids would get up and share about their new faith in, in Jesus. Sometimes uh, some would talk about thoughts of suicide, for instance, but, but now they had hope. I, I remember one girl, she got up and shared how she had been abused in front of like 120 high school kids and how she now believed, had faith in love. Crying, weeping, hugging, shaking, laughing, faith, hope, and love, it was incredible. And then invariably, one of the middle-aged adult counselors would get up and say something like this, well, you know, kids, this is really wonderful, but what difference is your faith gonna make when you get back to the real world, the real world? And we kinda all know what, what that means. What difference will your faith make when you have to feed your family? What difference will your faith make economically? What difference will your faith make politically um, to issues like famine and global warfare, politics? What difference will your make faith make politically? And, and what difference does your faith make to, to the environment, to things like global warming and hurricanes, the storms of this world? What is your faith good for in the real world? What works will your faith produce in reality? What's reality? I love that clip from E.T. This is reality, Greg. How does Elliot know what's real? Adults think they know what's real, but ironically, only Elliot really knows what's real, the real E.T. All the adults are so afraid of E.T. and losing their grip on what's real that they can't know what's real. Only Elliot knows the real E.T. because only Elliot trusts E.T. and then E.T. reveals reality such that the child knows 
reality better than all the politicians, scientists, and adults in the world who want to dissect E.T. in the laboratory in fear. Well, it's just a, it's just a silly movie. But anyway, children do have trouble knowing what's real. When my son Jonathan was four, Susan took him shopping with her. They went to some department store. And when John was four, he just like always fidgeted everywhere he went. And this one day, he fidgeted himself right into a mannequin. And this mannequin fell over. John turned around, looked at her. Her eyes got huge with terror. He started screaming out loud in the department store, I killed her! I killed her! I killed her! Didn't stop until Susan wrapped her arms around him and, and told him what was real. Jonathan, Jonathan, she's not real. She's not real. She's not real. See, children have a hard time knowing what's real. And so they have the most powerful dreams. When my uncle was a boy, my, my father told me, they had gone swimming that day and uh, during his sleep, I guess dreaming, he got up on the side of his bed, bounced a couple times, and dove off of his bed into the corner, broke his arm. You see, unreal dreams, dreaming that you're going diving into a swimming pool, have very real consequences at times. Children have trouble knowing what's real, and so they have the most vivid dreams, and they have the most powerful nightmares. When I was a, a child, there was a storm warning in, in Littleton. I heard the storm warning, and, and I remember I went and I, and I told my dad, Dad, we've got to go down to the basement. There's a tornado warning. And my dad said to me, um, no, we still have plenty of time. Let's uh, stay and watch. And I said, no, I really think we need to go down to the basement, Dad. And he said, no, I'm going to stay and watch. So I kept going down to the basement. I come back to get Dad, and he wouldn't go down to the basement. And I remember finally coming into the family room saying, Dad, we have to go to the basement. And as I, as I screamed at him, I looked and I saw this. My dad, looking through my Kmart telescope out the plate, glass window in our family room at a tornado and I was absolutely terrified because the tornado was four feet from the glass window and Chinese had a pointy hat like a Chinaman and it had a kimono and it was staring at us my brain just like overloaded with fear and I woke up. I woke up screaming, yelling, crying, shaking, imprisoned in fear. It was the worst nightmare that I have ever, ever, ever experienced. And you think it's silly because you're not seven years old. But you see, my child brain didn't know that tornadoes don't stare at you through plate glass windows wearing kimonos and pointy hats, at least not in the real world. But what if the real world is, is a dream? And what seems unreal is really the real waking us from, from, from our dream. Well, anyway, children have trouble knowing what's real. So they have the worst nightmares and the best dreams. Most adults pretty much give up on, on dreams. Why? Because we know what's real. What is real? And what difference does your faith make in the real world? John chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves. Remember, these were loaves given to him by who? A child. 
And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When people saw the sign that he had done, when they saw, they saw the sign, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. We looked at this last week. Um, Jesus makes a feast. Real food in the real world. That's faith that has a real economic impact. Don't you think? Pretty cool. With faith like that, you could end world hunger. But here's the puzzler. Jesus only did it like like twice, it, it appears. Why didn't he do it like all the time. And why didn't he do it in Jerusalem, in front of King Herod and Pontius Pilate? Instead he does it on some hillside for a bunch of redneck Galileans. Next verse. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, king, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again. It's like he, did, he ran away again to the mountain by himself. What's wrong with Jesus? I mean, really. They're coming to make him king. King. They're all voting for Jesus as president. President. What's wrong with him? One night at small group, we were discussing, arguing about politics and what the president should do. And I remember my friend Mark, he, he got frustrated with me. He finally said, well, Peter, what do you think? Uh, what would Jesus do if he was president? And I thought for a moment. And I said, he'd quit. Because that's exactly what he did. You know, we Americans put so much hope in stuff like a Christian president. And that's ironic, since Jesus refused to be president. It seems to me that the American church is almost desperate to make Jesus king and to do it by force. Because after all, this is the, the real world, the real world. Have you seen the latest trailer for the next gospel movie coming out of Hollywood this coming Christmas? Just, just watch this. All right, all right, settle down. Did I make enough? Good. Back to my sermon. Blessed are the... Get down. Come with me if you want to live. What are you doing? They were going to arrest you. I know. And crucify you. This is supposed to happen. What are you, a glutton for punishment? In the beginning, there was Arnold. I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal endoskeleton. My mission is to protect you. I appreciate your concern, and I realize you've traveled a great distance, but there's a plan, a master plan even, and I can't explain it to you now, but you must, must stay away. And you cannot go around killing people. Why? Because it is one of God's commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Why? 
Because it is a sin. Why? Because it's not nice. Why? Forgive him, Father. He's a robot from the future. Thou shalt not miss this movie. Now, come witness the miracle. Brothers, my time with you is almost over. But for now, let us eat. Eat this! just don't get it, do you? You have been targeted for termination. I've already told you I'm supposed to die for the sins of mankind. I'm programmed to protect you. Stop! Stop killing Judas! But he's going to betray you. I know. I've got a lot on my mind right now, and you're really starting to stress me out, okay? Okay? Bosch is fired at 10 o'clock. Give me that thing. This Christmas, the meek shall inherit the action. <laughs> Don't worry. He'll be back. <laughs> what? Terminator 3. The greatest action story ever told. Bless this film. <laughs> I, t I absolutely love that clip. And yet it is a devastating, a devastating critique upon the church. And you do realize that we're laughing at ourselves because we just don't get it. We're like robots from the future that have been programmed by religion to protect Jesus, but we don't get Jesus. So we really don't protect Jesus. In fact, we protect the world from Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified, body broken bloodshed, the love of God poured out, even through us, his body. We don't get it. So we try to protect love with hate, like love is weak and unreal. And hate is strong and, and real. We don't have much faith in love, like it's not real. You, you know, technically, the Crusades, uh, ended in the Middle Ages. But do you realize that our government spends somewhere between two and five billion dollars a year in federal grants uh, to the nation of Israel and most of that is military aid. That's one-fifth to one-third of all foreign aid. And now you can make all kinds of arguments as to why that's good. You, you, you really can. But what's utterly bizarre to me is how we argue that military support for the geopolitical nation state of Israel is some kind of Christian mandate. When Christ himself was crucified because he would not be king of the geopolitical nation state of Israel. You realize, don't you, that instead of 
crucifying Romans, he actually arranged for Romans to crucify him and then utterly destroy Jerusalem. And so now we do what Jesus refused to do, all in the name of Jesus, for the very reasons that got Jesus crucified. And ironically, that's largely because of John's prophecy, John's prophecy, the guy who wrote this stuff, the Revelation. For most of history, the official position of the church has been what's called amillennialism. It's the idea that right now the true church reigns on earth through the power of God. Yet the power of God is not a worldly power. It's a holy power. It is the word of the cross. Christ crucified both the power of God and the wisdom of God, wrote Paul in Colossians chapter 1. It wasn't until the 20th century in America that a new and very different idea took hold. It's the idea that Christians will be raptured before tribulation, before seven years of tribulation, and then return to earth. Tribulation is like the time when folks end up getting crucified. Rapture before tribulation, and then return to earth to rule the geopolitical nation state of Israel with Jesus from Jerusalem for a thousand years in our space and time here in what we would call the real world. You see, if that's true, maybe it only stands to reason that we might bless Jesus, bless Israel with bombs, tanks, and guns, for his kingdom is like of this world. Well, you can argue different views of the millennium. You really can. And you can argue what the true Israel really is and what it is not. You you really can. And you can argue how we are to bless her, but, but, but I don't think you can argue the fact that when we tried to make Jesus king, he refused. And that when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, John chapter 18, he said the following, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And so if his servants fight, they must believe that his kingdom is of this world and that this world is the real world. Well, anyway, Jesus had no interest, it seems, in being a real king in the real world, as if that kind of king is a king of anything except illusions and lies. You know, when Herod the Great died in 4 BC, he left orders that all notable Jews in Jerusalem would be brought uh, to his deathbed and then taken to the Hippodrome where they would be locked and then executed in order that there would be tears shed throughout all Jerusalem and all Israel upon his death. Fortunately, Salome, his sister, had those Jews released from the Hippodrome before the executions could take place. You see, King Herod was king of all Judea, and yet he could not command one tear shed in faith, hope, or love. King of all Judea, but not one heart. How do you become king of a heart? Well, anyway, I'm telling you, if, if, 
if I could multiply bread and turn it into to a banquet, I'd do it all the time and I'd do it on TV. And if you chase me down one day and, and make me king of Denver, that'd just be cool with me. <laughs> but not Jesus. Verse 11, Jesus could solve all economic issues. He can turn poverty into a banquet. Verse 15, Jesus could be king and have unlimited political power, but he runs away. Verse 11, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. The sea is a picture of chaos and hell. Got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened frightened not of the storm but this thing walking in the storm you know if I could walk on water I'd do it in the middle of the day and I'd call a news conference and I'd say hey send all your money to sanctuary uh, downtown this is the the address and everybody would fear me and obey me the man who could calm the storm and walk on the raging sea that's what I do but not Jesus. It was the middle of the night. Only his disciples saw him walking on the sea. Is that even possible, the sea? Is that real? For most of the 20th century, we were told that it can't be real, for matter, space, and time are what's truly real. And now physicists, did you know this? They argue that matter doesn't really matter. And that space and time are relative to like light. And that all things are like dependent upon an observer and that observer's meaning, word. Einstein said this, reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. That is, this real world isn't really real. A clear implication of most prevalent quantum physics is that every person creates their own reality with something like faith. And yet what's truly puzzling is that to some extent we all exist in the same reality, which would then imply that someone is observing us all and constantly creating or maintaining us with something like his faith, his faith, his meaning, his word, his, his logos, which is light. Do you get it? The disciples look out into the storm upon the raging sea, and what do they see? The word of God. And he's more real than the storm. He's more real than the sea. He's more real than the powers of death, chaos, and hell. He's more real than this world. He's more real than fish. He's more real than bread. He's more real than King Herod and Pontius Pilate. He's more real than Hurricane Katrina. He's more real than your divorce. And he's more real than your addictions. And he's more real than the crap that you're going to face at work tomorrow morning. More real. He's the word of God through whom all things are created and sustained, including you, right now. See, for those fishermen, that storm is the real world, and yet he's more real than reality. And that's terrifying. For he controls all things right now.
because we're terrified of him and because we truly don't trust him, perhaps he allows each of us to create our own reality for a time. And that reality is sin and death in this fallen world. A world where I am king. And so everything else dies. And that world turns into hell. That world is an illusion. And yet truly it is a prison, a prison I create with faithlessness. Faith in myself, faithlessness. But heaven is, is no illusion. Heaven is reality. Heaven is what God wills. So to live in heaven is to will what God wills. God wills his word. Jesus is God's will. Jesus is God's judgment. So trusting in Jesus is willing God's will, it's heaven, that's heaven. So if you hate Jesus, you'll hate heaven and you'll hide yourself in hell. Well, in hell, on the sea, the disciples see Jesus and they're terrified. Verse 19, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, ego e me. Now that should just make them absolutely catatonic with fear. Why? Because in the Greek version of the, of the Hebrew scriptures, ego e me is the name of Yahweh, the Lord God, the ground of all being, the observer, the creator. His name is I am. Jesus said, I am. Ego a me. And yet you see, it also implies in, in casual Greek, even though you'd say it a little different, it also implies I am me. And you see, that's the gospel. I am is Jesus. Jesus is God. Suffering for you. Coming to get you out on the sea can you trust Jesus in other words will you let him into your boat even though he is infinitely more real than your little boat and he has the power to blow your little boat absolutely to smithereens will you trust him you know, he could have easily terrified Pilate Herod all Judea into submission but he only appeared to his disciples walking on the sea. Only they were ready to let him into their boat. Do you understand? Jesus didn't want fear. He wanted faith. He wanted to be king of their hearts. You know, for Jesus, king of bread and fish, king of kings and kingdoms, king of storms and sea, that's no biggie, but to be king of your heart, he was crucified, dead, buried, and descended into hell. That's the Apostles' Creed. Next verse. They saw Jesus walking on the chaos, the sea, and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, it's me. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad. The verb in Greek is they wanted. They wanted to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. 
Well, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place, and when they had eaten the bread, uh, where, where they had eaten the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did, would you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I, I'm telling you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Well, if they ate their fill of the loaves, at least to our way of thinking, they saw the sign, right? They saw the sign, they just didn't read the sign. They saw miracle broken bread, but didn't understand its meaning. They did not understand the abundance of shared poverty, nor the power of shared poverty. They did not trust love. And that's why they tried to make him king by force. Verse 27, Jesus says, do not labor, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Okay, pay close attention. Work for that bread that endures, which the Son of Man will give to you. Work for that bread, and yet you cannot earn that bread, for it's a gift from the Son of Man. That's weird. Maybe you don't work that bread, but that bread works you. It's free, and yet receiving it may cost you everything, every temporal, transient, corruptible thing, including your life. The bread works you. It, it makes you work. You don't work it, it, it works you. Work for that bread that endures, that remains unto eternal life. So, so, so then there is unreal bread, and there is really, really, really real bread, eternal bread. There is an unreal world of economics, politics, and environmental disaster, an unreal world that is perishing and passing away. There is an unreal world, and there is a, a really, really, really real world. And now remember the question, what difference does your faith make in the real world? Jesus says, work for the food that is real. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be working the works of God? Jesus answered them, ready, this is it, okay, because you've asked that question. What must we do to be working the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God that, that you believe, that's the verb. Um, the noun is uh, that you have faith. Both of those words all come from one Greek root, which means trust, 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 trust. This is the work of God. So we ask the kids at camp, what works does your faith produce? Yet faith is the work that God once produced. 
faith, trust, period. Now, now faith will manifest in all sorts of good works, but faith or, or trust is the work that the Father desires. You see, trust is not good for some other reason. It's just good. I don't want my kids to trust me for some other reason. Trust is the reason. And if they're trusting me for some other reason, well, it's not really trust. And we ask the kids this at camp. What difference will your faith make in the real world? And yet their faith is the real world. Faith, hope, and love abide. Their tears, hugs, laughter, testimonies, are the real world and the economy, politics, global environment, disasters, well, they're the illusion. They're the unreal world, which we adults think is real because we are far more interested in and seduced by that world than, than children. But children are far less likely to take that world seriously. Jesus said, you must become like a child to enter my world. What difference does faith make in the real world? That's entirely backwards. Faith is the real world. And the difference, it's the difference that reveals the real world. You must become like a child to enter my world, said Jesus. This is the victory that conquers the world, writes John. Your faith. That's what the whole revelation is about. That this world, kings, kings of the earth, the beast, the harlot, the dragon, this world is conquered by a slaughtered lamb, the revelation of love, conquered by a slaughtered lamb and those that are with him, that trust him, that have faith in love. So, so get this, faith in Jesus is the real world invading this False world. Hebrews 11.1. One. Okay, this is the Bible. You're supposed to believe this. You have to believe this. Listen closely. Now, faith is the hypostasis in Greek. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do you hope for? The real world? Yeah. To be more precise, Jesus. Yeah. Now, faith is the substance of Jesus. Faith in Jesus is Jesus in you, like food. John 4, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. John 6, Jesus is gonna tell us, your food is me. He's the food, he's the faith, he's the will and the work of God in us. Now, now listen to this sentence once again. This is the work of God, this is the work of God, that you believe. Ice, it's a preposition. In, on, inside, within, through, or by means of, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. This is the work of God. Creating faith, belief, trust within you. See, we tend to think that faith is a tool that we use to build our world and accomplish the works of God. But this entire world is a tool that God uses to build our faith, and this is the work of God. We think that we're supposed to trust in order to get things done, and yet all things are done so that we would trust God, so that we would trust God, 
And God is love. And Jesus is the faithful one who gives his faith to us. You see, faith in love, body broken, blood shed, bread and wine, that is the harvest of this earth. Revelation 14. Harvest of the earth. And my friends, that harvest is eternal. It's real. So what am I saying? At least this. I'm saying that the economy does not matter. I'm saying that global food production does not matter. I'm saying that who the president is or who the president is not really does not matter. Global politics really don't even matter. Worldwide environmental collapse does not matter. Storms, earthquakes, volcanoes, they really don't matter. All the crap that you're going to face tomorrow morning at work, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, at least not in the way that you think it matters. However, this does matter. Faith. One thing matters faith your trust in God's heart Jesus faith I mean it seems so small and so weak and so unreal it, it seems so small why because it's a seed right now it's a seed. And yet within that seed is an entire new creation. The harvest of this earth. See, this entire world is passing away. It's unreal. Yet that seed is eternal, indestructible, incorruptible. That seed is Jesus and so he took the bread and he broke it saying this is my body broken for you take and eat do this in remembrance of me eat me food and in the same way after supper he took the cup and he said this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins drink of it all of you and do it in remembrance of me. Eat me, drink me. And so, I awoke from my nightmare, shaking, trembling, screaming because of the Chinese tornado in my stormy dream. I woke and soon I found myself on my father's lap, wrapped in his strong arms, Listening to his word, Peter, 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 don't be afraid. I love you. And I knew his arms were more real than my dream. But I knew something else. His arms were better than my dream. He held me. I clung to him. All the more tightly I clung to him because of my stormy dreams. I clung to him, and trust grew in me. Soon you'll awake, and you'll see it. Your father's arms are more real than this entire world. And yet even now, 
You can hear his word. You can know his love as faith. Faith is his word taking root in you. It's Christ in you. It's the work of God in you. It's the really, really real world growing in you. Let's pray. Just pray this with me, okay? If you're not a Christian and, and you pray this prayer, that, that means that you are what we loosely call a Christian. But this is what I think God wants to hear. Just pray this. Father, I confess my world. <laughs> my world of darkness, deception, and lies. And in Jesus' name, I want to get real. Make me real, Jesus, as you are real. So, do you ever ask this question? God, what do you want? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want from me? I have the answer. Are you taking notes? Because you might want to write this down. I, I, I have the answer. Whether you're hanging on the cross or, or whether you just won the lottery, this is the answer. God, what do you want from me? Answer, trust, period. Do you ever ask this question? God, what the rip are you doing? What is this all about? What are you doing, God? Do you want the answer? Trust, period. He's building trust in you. Trust is a person in you. It's Jesus. Trust. It's frustrating. Trust who? God. Who's God? God is revealed in Jesus, the revelation of love. Trust God in Jesus. Where is he? Everywhere. The entire universe is upheld by the word of his power that is Jesus' trust. That's what he wants. That's what he gives. Trust. And one day you will turn around and realize, oh my gosh. I was walking on the sea. I was walking on chaos. The other gospels record that that night, Peter walked on the sea as long as he looked at Jesus. But as soon as he looked away from Jesus, stopped trusting Jesus, he sank. Trust. And one day you will turn around and you will realize, oh my gosh, I reigned and ruled on earth with Jesus. Scripture says all things work together for the good with those who love God and call according to his purpose. That, that's you. And this is the victory that conquers, overcomes the world, right, John? Your faith. Trust. And God may use your trust. He may use your faith to work great miracles. Uh, he may use your faith to prepare a banquet of grace uh, for the world. But you see, that's his business. What he wants is trust. That's what the Father wants trust. Walking on water, ruling the world, great miracles. 
Those are all small things for God. And yet he gave absolutely everything in order that you would trust him. And so in Jesus' name, trust him. Believe his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.